Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Our journalistic firefighters get down to the crucial business of investigating high school children. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez says the world will end in 12 years. And Democrats play the 2020 game. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, man, there is so much in the news happening. I have so many things to say about those things. Just like every day, it's as though I do this for a living. We're going to get to all the news in just a second. But first, let's talk about how you make your business better. Well, the best way to make your business better is hiring correctly. And hiring can be pretty time consuming. You post a job to several online job boards only to get tons of the wrong resumes. Then you have to sort through all of the resumes just to find a few people with the right skills and experience. Those job sites that overwhelm you with the wrong resumes, they're they're not smart. That's why you should do the smart thing and go over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates just for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and then actively invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. It is no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. If you love the show, Show your support for the show and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. We use it here at the Daily Wire offices. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Go check them out. They're fantastic. All right. So the latest update from Covington High School. Now, yesterday on our radio show, we talked to several of the Covington High School students. And I've been speaking to them ever since, and they've been giving me updates. The latest update is that they had to cancel classes over at Covington High School because of death threats, because of bomb threats. No, I am not kidding. They've now had to cancel school today, and they had to cancel their basketball game, which was scheduled for the next couple days, because of all the violent threats that are being made over a completely falsified video that the media pushed forward. So the media over the weekend pushed forward this video, as you'll recall from yesterday's show, They pushed forward a video suggesting that Covington High School students surrounded an elderly Native American Vietnam veteran and then began berating him, yelling at him, obstructing him and all the rest. It turns out that was all a lie. It was not true. The further video shows that what happened is that there were a bunch of black Hebrew Israelites, cult members, who were yelling racial, sexual orientation slurs at the students. The students did not respond except by chanting their school chants, at which point Nathan Phillips, this elderly Native American gentleman, he decided to saunter into the middle of the high school students with some of his buddies, pounding a drum and getting in the faces of some of the students. The students did not react to that. And for this, the students were castigated. They are now receiving death threats. They are receiving bomb threats. They have been doxxed. I mean, I've spoken to a bunch of the students at this point. These are, from my impression, good, solid kids. I see no evidence that they are racist. I see no evidence that they did anything egregious or wrong. And you're seeing commentary from folks on the left suggesting One kid in particular, Nick Sandman, who's the one who you see in the video standing face to face with a Native American guy, that he was doing something wrong by smiling. So now a white guy smiling is racist. That's how far we have come. So on Martin Luther King Day yesterday, people were talking about how a white kid smiling was racist because he happened to be wearing a MAGA hat. You think maybe we have gone too far in this country in terms of polarizing people 
by way of race. It's pretty astonishing. Well, President Trump did the right thing yesterday. He tweeted out about Covington Catholic. He was he was watching Tucker Carlson's show. Tucker did a great job of covering this issue last night on Fox News. And Trump tweeted out, looking like Nick Sandman and Covington Catholic students were treated unfairly with early judgments proving out to be false, smeared by media. Not good, but making big comeback. New footage shows that media was wrong about teens encounter with Native American at Tucker Carlson. That's great. I mean, I had recommended to the White House that President Trump actually tweet at Nick Sandman, nice hat, Nick. Want to come to the White House? You remember Barack Obama did that with Clock Boy. You remember there was that, that Muslim kid in Texas who, in my opinion, falsely claimed that he had been expelled for, for building a clock when, in fact, he brought in a device that looked very much like a bomb. And, the stu- and he was briefly investigated and, and suspended briefly. And then Barack Obama suggested it was racism and Islamophobia and then invited him to the White House. It seems to me that if somebody's been maligned here, it's Nick Sandman who's been deeply maligned by all of this. It is really, really gross. And the media haven't stopped completely. It's amazing. Now you're suddenly starting to see the media think twice about what they've done here and all the rest. And listen, I'm not saying that in the aftermath of the immediate tape that things were super clear because they weren't. On Saturday night, I came back on, right? I was, I was lucky. On Friday night, I was off because it had been a long day and it was Sabbath, so I didn't see any of this until Saturday night. On Saturday night, I got online on Twitter and I started retweeting various different opinions on the issue because I had not made up my mind yet. Then I saw the tape and I said, this is absurd. What the hell is going on here? And that's where my opinion landed on Saturday night, Sunday morning, Monday. The media continued to press forward the case that these kids are racist. So how are they going to press forward the case that these kids are racist? Well, they're going to bring on people who weren't even at the event to talk about how these kids were racist. So they brought on a tribal rights attorney. Okay, the, the MSNBC brought on a tribal rights attorney who admits in the interview she was not present when any of this happened, but she saw something racist that happened. Well, why is her opinion any better than yours or mine or anyone else who watched the tape? It isn't, but MSNBC pushed it anyway. Maybe a hundred students who were getting louder and louder and louder, all wearing Make Make America Great Again hats. You you had walked away prior to that point happening. I personally kind of felt unsafe. You know, I I could feel the energy in the air change to surround an indigenous elder and chant build the wall um, kind of exposes that it really has nothing to do with border security. It seems like it's an issue of race and white supremacy. There is no evidence. And I witnessed something that was very aggressive and something that was very frightening. Okay, she, she witnessed something very aggressive and very frightening. Are you kidding me? Like, she, she says that she, she witnessed all of this stuff, there, but it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, right? So people were, were bringing out this, this statement about, about what she had to say as though she had any sort of, of real insight in there. She says she was there, so I, I correct myself. She says she was there, but her account is wrong. There's just tape that proves that it was wrong. So what are we going to believe? Our own lying eyes of this lady. The media continued to push this forward until it became unpushable anymore, at which point some in the media swiveled and decided to clock other members of Covington High School for more non-racist stuff. So the worst egregious offenders today are the folks over at the New York Daily News. Okay, the, the folks over at the New York Daily News. So over at the New York Daily News, this was the headline yesterday and still today. They've not taken this down. I mean, this is libelous material, really like suable. This is, this is what their headline says. See it. Covington Catholic High students in blackface at past basketball game. And they show a picture of these kids who are yelling at an opposing player who's a black kid. And a couple of the kids are completely covered in black body paint. And here is what the New York Daily News reports. This won't help Kentucky student Nick Sandman's case. A photo said to be featuring Covington Catholic High School students clad in blackface during a 2015 basketball game made the rounds on Twitter Monday morning amid last week's Indigenous People's March controversy. 
Okay, the photo depicts several white students, some in blackface, shouting at an opposing black player. While the photo's origins couldn't be verified, the official Covington Catholic High School YouTube account published a video last January boasting its basketball school spirit, and several clips, including one from 2012, showcase attendees chanting in blackface, a mockery of the opposing players. The school took down the video later on Monday. So what's the story here? Was this really a racist incident? Okay, so first of all, number one, they are now citing incidents that are not this incident about kids who are not this kid from a time that is not this time. Number two, were these kids even in blackface mocking the black player? No, this was a blackout game. It's a blackout game. For, for people who don't know anything about high school sports, very often in high school sports, they will have games that are whiteout games or blackout games or blueout games where both teams wear a color of the uniform, right? The one will wear white, one will wear black, one, and then they'll reverse. Or they'll both wear blue, but it'll be white on blue versus blue on white. And then the students will dress up in the color for that game. So in a blueout game, then everybody will wear blue. Right? And people will paint themselves blue. This was a blackout game. So some of the kids painted themselves black. Were they mocking black people? No. Of course they weren't mocking black people. There's no evidence that they were mocking black people. The New York Daily News ran with it anyway. Because now they have to demonstrate that they may have been wrong about this case, but they weren't wrong in general. They are applying the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez view of politics. It's not important to be factually correct. It's just important to be morally correct. The New York Daily News, which is just a piece of garbage newspaper, They report Sandman, the Covington Jr. donning a MAGA cap, tried to dispel reports that he was mocking Nathan Phillips and other Native Americans at the end of the Indigenous Peoples March as they performed the American Indian Movement song at the Lincoln Memorial. Sandman said in a statement, I never interacted with this protester. I did not speak to him. I did not make any hand gestures or other aggressive moves. Meanwhile, Phillips said, I read it. I didn't agree with it. They looked like a lynch mob. Really, did they look like a lynch mob? Because it seems to me that you stood there banging a drum in a guy's face for like 10 minutes and then you left. That's, that's what it looked like to me. Now, what's amazing is that people are still taking this guy at his word. As I said yesterday, we have this presumption when it comes to people on the left lying about things that happen, that they're not actually lying, that we have to take their statements with the greatest benefit of the doubt possible. It's the same reaction that led people to believe, as, as President Obama did, about Ferguson, Missouri. People don't just make this sort of stuff up. Sometimes people make things up of every race. Of every race, people make things up. Okay, in this particular case, the Nathan, Nathan Phillips made stuff up about high school students. The media swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker, and ran with it, and continue some of them to run with it. Now, Town Hall is reporting Covington Catholic Principal Bob Rowe has closed school on Tuesday in the wake of the weekend's controversy. The media tore into student Nick Sandman after a video suggested he had harassed a Native American veteran. When more footage came out, it turned out Sandman had done nothing wrong. Covington had originally condemned the actions of its students because everybody reacts too quickly to everything, right? I think that there's a basic rule in politics that we all need to apply now. It's what my mom calls the count to 10 rule. Before you react, before you tweet anything, before you jump on a bandwagon, count to 10. Really, just take a breath and think about maybe whether you ought to jump on that bandwagon. Now, I'm not going to say that, I have, that I've never violated that rule. Of course I've violated that rule. I've gotten things wrong in the past. But I think if we all abide by the count to 10 rule, a lot of pain and friction in our culture would quickly be avoided. Phillips has now rejected Sandman's statement, demanding he write a new one and suggesting that he and his peers be considered for expulsion. He didn't accept any responsibility, Phillips said. That lack of responsibility, I don't accept it. And then Phillips turned down an opportunity to sit down and meet with a group of Covington students. Cincinnati restaurateur Jeff Ruby had offered to host the meeting. It's not the right time, Phillips said. I might consider it at some point. There'd have to be certain assurances in place, give and take and understanding. First of all, I don't think the student should sit down with this guy. This guy lied about them. Why should they, why should they sit down with a person who slandered them? Why, I wouldn't. What the hell would be the point? 
The answer is, of course, there is no point. It's absurd. So these kids have nothing to apologize for from where I sit. I'm not seeing any evidence they have anything to apologize for. In a second, I'm going to explain how this story went viral in the first place because it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. So does all of this want to make you put your head under a pillow and just go to sleep for a while? But then it turns out you can't sleep. Maybe it's because your mattress stinks. Okay, what you actually need is a great mattress from Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete. They use the answers to match your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress. Whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or a firm bed, with Helix, there's no more guessing and no more confusion. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split that mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Right now, Helix is offering up to 125 bucks off all mattress orders. Get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com slash Ben for 125 bucks off your mattress order. Again, helixsleep.com slash Ben. My wife and I have a Helix Sleep mattress. It is spectacular. It's really great. My wife and I took that sleep quiz. The mattress came in the mail, inflated right in front of us because it's made of foam. We put it on the bed. It's great. We got one for my sister for her wedding as well. It's just terrific. Go check it out right now. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get 125 bucks off. All right. So how did this thing go viral in the first place? How did this thing originally go viral? Well, it turns out that there were a bunch of fake accounts that were promoting it. So it's hilarious. The entire left, which has been consumed with the idea that Russian bots twisted the 2016 election, fell for a bunch of fake accounts on Twitter promoting this stuff. So according to CNN.com, Twitter suspended an account on Monday afternoon that helped spread a controversial encounter between a Native American elder and a group of high school students wearing Make America Great Again hats. The account claimed to belong to a California school teacher. Its profile photo was not of a school teacher, but of a blogger based in Brazil. Twitter suspended the account after CNN Business asked about it. The account, with the username 2020Fight, was set up in December 2016 and appeared to be the tweet of a woman named Talia living in California, teacher and advocate fighting for 2020. Since the beginning of the year, the account had tweeted on average 130 times a day and had more than 40,000 followers. Late on Friday, the account posted the minute-long video, and that video was viewed 2.5 million times. And then it turns out that there are a bunch of viral accounts that started promoting all of this stuff. In one indicator of the 2020 Vite video's virality, multiple newsrooms, including some national American outlets, reached out to the user asking them directly about the video. Molly McHugh is an information warfare researcher who saw the tweet and shared it herself on Saturday. She later realized a network of anonymous accounts were working to amplify the video. So in other words, for all the talk about how everybody ought to be aware of bots and, and confirmation bias, everybody is subject to it. And it was obvious in this particular case. Now, in a second, I'm going to explain to you a little bit more about the Native American elder at the center of this controversy, because it turns out this is not his first time pulling this sort of stunt. And so Ryan Saavedra reports over at my site, Daily Wire, quote, the Native American man at the center of the controversy involving a group of Trump-supporting high school boys from Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky has a history of claiming disrespect and racism by students. Nathan Phillips claimed in April 2015 that a group at Eastern Michigan University were racist toward him after he approached them while they were participating in an American Indian theme party. They had little feathers on. I was just going to walk by. Phillips claimed a group of them said, come on over here, come here. Then they started whooping and hollering. I said that wasn't honoring. That was racist. Then at that time, it got really ugly. He claimed the students yelled racial slurs at him and threw a beer can at him. They said, go back to the reservation, you blank Indian, he said. He says he called the police. By the time they showed up, it was like there was no party there at all. Fox 2 Detroit asked why, Phillips why he decided to approach the students, why he didn't just walk away. Phillips said, for me to just walk by and have a blind eye to it, something just didn't allow me to do it. 
Well, the alleged incident from 2015 mirrors a lot of, of exactly what he was claiming here. In a now-deleted article from ABC7 Detroit, the Eastern Michigan University said they were investigating the alleged incident, but residents at the address where the alleged incident happened told 7 Action News none of them were at Saturday's party and declined to comment. So, again, maybe his original allegations in 2015 were true, maybe they weren't. But his allegations now certainly are not true. And they were pushed by the media anyway, and you can tell at this point, it's pretty obvious. Again, let's give people the benefit of the doubt to the extent of saying maybe some people honestly got this wrong Friday and Saturday. If you are still pushing the debunked story today, then there's no way to give you the benefit of the doubt. Right? You just can't. There's no way to give you the benefit of the doubt. And what's even more amazing is folks who are making clear what their real agenda here is. Okay, Their real agenda here is that they hate the March for Life. Okay, That's really what this was about. The entire reason the media covered this is because they hate the March for Life, they hate people wearing MAGA hats, and they decided that people wearing MAGA hats at the March for Life, that was a twofer. And if you were white, it was a threefer. That means that they had to be crazy and racist and they had to be kooks. Alyssa Milano made this absolutely clear. Right? Famed, famed great thinker who shows up at Supreme Court confirmation hearings wearing like handmaid's tail outfits, Alyssa Milano, you know, most famous for being in Charmed and then nothing else for the last 20 years. So she tweeted out, she tweeted out yesterday with regard to these Covington High School kids, something incredible. So what she tweeted out, let me find the exact tweet because it really is pretty astonishing. She said that, sorry, scrolling through her tweets here. She said, here, quote, let's not forget this entire event happened because a group of boys went on a school sanctioned trip to protest against a woman's right to her own body and reproductive health care. It is not debatable that bigotry was at play from the start. In other words, everyone at the March for Life, all 500,000 people, 600,000 people, all of those people were, were bigots, all of them, because they opposed Alyssa Milano on abortion. And that's where we are as a country. These kids were preemptively bigots because they happened to be there marching for the rights of the unborn because toxic masculinity involves protecting children who have not yet been born. And let's be real about this. All the blowback that everyone at the March for Life is getting is about one thing and one thing only, their presence at the March for Life. That is all this is about. If this had just been a random political event, if this had just been nothing to do with Trump, nothing to do with the March for Life, if this had just been Comic-Con, none of this would have been an issue. None of it. This is all about trying to destroy anyone who's remotely associated with the March for Life and the media bandwagon jumping on anyone who was there in order to derive these, these nutso narratives that they're attempting to push. We are now living in an age of anti-religious bigotry. You can see it, right? This is, it, it's, it's amazing, right? It's amazing to see the anti-religious bigotry. And by the way, you're starting to see people push even more false narrative about the Covington kids. Like there's a video that is currently going around that shows supposedly a, a kid shouting to a girl, it's not rape if you enjoy it. It turns out that that kid doesn't go to Covington High. The kid doesn't go to Covington High. In a group of 600,000 people, you think you might be able to spot like one nut Probably, but the attempt to smear the entire march and entire high school and all these kids, it's just, it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And as I say, it is part of a broader anti-religious agenda that extends back into last week, as we saw, and even before that. Hey, let's face it. The mainstream left in this country has moved in an anti-religious direction. It used to be that religious warfare in the country was basically internecine. You know, Tom Lehrer, who's a famous comedic songwriter back in the 60s, he had, he had a funny song called International Brotherhood Week. Or National Brotherhood Week. And in the middle of the song, he starts talking about religious hatred. And he says, and the, the, the Protestants hate the Catholics, and the Catholics hate the Protestants, and the Hindus hate the Muslims, and everybody hates the Jews. Right? That's sort of usually how religious warfare works. But we're now living in a time 
where the secular left has decided to take on everyone of traditional Judeo-Christian values, whether it is Karen Pence teaching at a religious school, whether it is the Knights of Columbus, or whether it is these kids who are acting out their Catholic faith by going to the March for Life rally. That's what this is really about. This is about a deep-seated conflict between folks who cannot stand the presence of religion in everyday life and people who are religious. That's all this is about. And they're finding, they're finding excuses for, for this sort of behavior everywhere. They're trying to redefine Christianity to meet their political needs. I mean, there's a guy named Adam Latz. He has a piece today at the Washington Post in which he suggests that Karen Pence, for example, who is teaching at a Christian school that requires kids to abide by traditional Christian values, that they can't rely on Christianity. This is just pure bigotry masquerading as Christianity. This is the way so many on the left view actual traditional Christianity. It's a basket of bigotries masquerading as religion. And so if we could just strip away the religious veneer, the bigotry would remain and we would see all these people for the bad people they are. Karen Pence is actually a bigot. She's not a religious woman. According to Adam Latz, you know, we can't, we can't take that at face value when Karen Pence says she's religious or when these Covington High School kids say they are religious. Because the truth is, religion has been open to interpretation for a very long time. Anybody who makes the claim that certain basic creedal truths of doctrine are open to interpretation that have not changed for 2,000 years, and I'm not talking about metaphorical interpretation of the, seven, the six days of creation and the Sabbath, and I'm not talking about the interpretation of slavery, which is not mandated by the Bible. I'm talking about things like do not do X. Okay, if it says in the Bible, do not do X, you know what the Bible generally means by that? Do not do X, which means it is a religious truth. But folks on the left don't want to acknowledge that. They would prefer to castigate anyone who disagrees with them as an inherent sinner, that's a, as an inherent bad person. That's, that's really where they want to go. That really religion is a cover for bigotry. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk about the new radicalism inside the Democratic Party. It is moving very, very quickly. First, let's talk about whether you can protect yourself. So the founders wanted to enshrine the First Amendment. They want to make sure that you had freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association. And then they recognized the only way to make sure that you would be able to retain those things is if there was a Second Amendment, which is why BCM exists. Bravo Company Manufacturing was started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago to build a professional-grade product that meets combat standards. BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless of whether they're a private citizen or a professional. BCM is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment and assume that each rifle leaving their shop will be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans to a life-saving standard. BCM feels a moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the user when it's not just a paper target. Look, I've always said, you don't own a rifle for hunting. You don't own a rifle for sport. You own a rifle because you need it in order to protect yourself and protect your rights. BCM agrees. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. That's bravocompanymfg.com or check them out at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. Meet the folks who founded the company. Really fantastic people. bravocompanymfg.com. Go check them out right now. Okay, so meanwhile, the Democratic Party is moving leftward radically and leading that charge is, of course, the effervescent Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right? That is the thing that really matters. Right, that, that, that's the thing, is that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is effervescent. She's, she's fantastic. And, and they're moving in a radical direction. So, example, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez said something that was neither morally true nor factually true, but demonstrates the catastrophic thinking that has taken over the Democratic Party. She was speaking yesterday, and she says that millennials believe that the world will end in 12 years. Okay, Nostradamus, lay it on us. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is... 
your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And like this is the war. This is our World War Two. So much sciencing. So much sciencing. Can she give us like an exact date? Can can we make a movie about it? You know, like there was 2012 and it came out a few years ago, like in 2012, about the end of the world and Mayan prophecies or something. Can she like, I think that when she does that, when she's like, the world's going to end in like 12 years. I know, first of all, I know someone is speaking science when they add the word like before their estimate of a disaster. When they say things akin to, when they say something like, hey, the world is going to end in like 52 years. I know to take it super seriously because of the like that precedes the 12 years. That's, that's really where I know it's going. Also, I find it hilarious that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is making the claim that the world is going to end in 12 years, so we like have to do everything we can. It's just like World War II, like, whoa, whoa. Okay, so we got to do everything. It's a crisis. We got to do, what, like, we're worried about how much money things are going to cost now. Like, who's going to care? We're all going to be dead, yo. Like, okay, so let, let's assume that's true. Let's assume the world is ending in 12 years. First of all, nothing you do now is going to stop what's going to happen in 12 years. If the climate science really suggested that in 12 years we're all going to be dead, that there's going to be a giant fireball from the sky that fries the earth, ain't nothing you can do about it. And you paying higher taxes ain't going to solve the problem either. Number two, if that really is, if it's preventable, if Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez believes that global warming is going to kill us all in 12 years, and what it really requires is us to get together a crew comprised of Ben Affleck and Bruce Willis to go on a space mission to the sun, to stop the sun from killing us all in 12 years, Maybe she should trade some of her legislative priorities for all the money necessary to make this happen. So proposal to congressional Democrats. If you believe that the crisis of humankind is dependent on your tax rates, why don't you just say, how about this? How about this? We'll just go full pro-life. We'll ban all abortions, right? No more abortions. And for that, we will trade the spending that you want. Seems like a pretty good deal. After all, we're preserving the future of humanity here. I just love the idea that she's a pro-science human. Alexandra, she's a reasonable pro-science person who knows things, people. She knows things. Uh, that, that is an astonishing clip. Now, I, I had my producers pull that before I'd actually listened to the entire thing word for word. It is pretty wonderful. That wasn't the only dumb thing that she decided to say. And, and again, she is now leading this Green New Deal push being praised by the intelligentsia on the, on the left. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez also says it is immoral, immoral that billionaires exist. So here she was yesterday explaining not only is the world going to end in 12 years, but it is immoral that billionaires exist. Well, I have a solution for the billionaires existing. In 12 years, the world won't exist and won't matter anymore because everybody will be dead. So I guess that solves the problem. There's no more billionaires. I mean, there's no more other people either, but there's that. Also, I'm, I'm just wondering, if she thinks it's immoral that billionaires exist, how does she think that half the globe was raised out of, di- out of dire, extreme poverty in the last 30 years? I saw CNN tweeting this nonsense out yesterday, too. I'll explain in just a second. Here, here's AOC in all of her eminent wisdom explaining economics. Do we live in a moral world that allows for billionaires? Is that a moral outcome in and no, of itself? Mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. I don't think it's ne- it, that necessarily means that all billionaires are immoral. But I do think a system that allows billionaires to exist mm. when there are parts of Alabama where, where people are still getting ringworm because mm-hmm. they don't have access to public health mm-hmm. is wrong. Okay, so I love that uh, the system that exists is just unfair. You know, I'm not saying billionaires are bad people. Okay, so these two things cannot coincide, right? If you say that billionaires are not bad people who are not exploiting people, then how do you rip the system that, that creates billionaires? Right, really, if you have a free classroom, 
Right? And the classroom is a free place of intellectual inquiry, and some students do better than other students. And you say, you know what? I'm not ripping on the students who do better, because that would not be right. I mean, they're, they're good kids. But I'm just ripping on a system that allows those students to succeed. You can't have it both ways. Either the billionaires are exploiters, which is why we should dock them their money, or they haven't done anything wrong, in which case you are just a jealous creep who wants to steal their money and give it to somebody else because you think that you are fairer than a system of free enterprise. I love the idea that you can sort of destroy the foundational notions of free enterprise by saying that you shouldn't be able to make a certain amount of money. And then you can assume that all of the gains of free enterprise will remain, that it doesn't kill the entrepreneurial spirit, that it doesn't destroy the ability to create and design new products. America's economy is dynamic specifically because we have lots of billionaires. Seriously. Bill Gates, you take away his entire profit motivation after he makes a million dollars. Because a million dollars is rich, right? You take away his entire profit motivation, how many people do you think he hires at Microsoft? You think he's just going to work for the public dole? That ain't happening. Okay, the fact is, the billionaires are the people who create the jobs for a lot of other people. And they're not creating the jobs because they're wonderful, nice people. They're creating the jobs because they need to hire people so they can continue making money. The free market system is a way of turning selfishness into altruism. The free market system means that my desire for additional profit means that I have to give you something that you want. CNN tweeted something out like this yesterday. 12,000 billionaires own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the world's population. Okay, so? Honest to God, so? There are people in LA right now who own a lot more money than I do. Have they stolen their money from me? Did they steal my money in any way? If the answer is no, then you're just being jealous. If the answer is no, then you just want to undermine the greatest system for the alleviation of poverty in the history of humanity, a system that does not allow the confiscation of wealth from other people just because you are jealous of them. Okay, so we have two big hits from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over the last 24 hours. One, the world is ending in 12 years. Two, even though the world is ending in 12 years, what we really have to worry about is the rich people who have ensured that poor people can get out of poverty. I'll give you the third radical silly thing that she said in just a second. First, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You get the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live, Michael Moles' show live, and we are slaving away for you. We have two additional hours every day. I'm exhausted. Look at me. Two additional hours every day of content for you behind the paywall, commercial-free when you subscribe. And you can be there live and during the commercial breaks for our radio show. You can ask questions sometimes if I deem you worthy. You can check all that out when you subscribe. Plus, it's time for our next episode of The Conversation. Tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, Andrew Clavin will be taking your questions and answering them live on air. So get ready to have your mind blown by the wisdom and knowledge you've been waiting for. Plus, you will get his baldness curation tips. As always, this episode will be free for everyone to watch on Facebook and YouTube. Only subscribers can ask the questions. Once again, subscribe to get your questions answered by Andrew Clavin tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and join the conversation. Go check it out right this very instant. Also, go subscribe at YouTube and iTunes. Our last Sunday special featured Alan West. We have a bunch of fantastic Sunday specials coming up in the next few weeks. I mean, big name, great guests. We, we started doing one yesterday. It was just great. So you're, you're really going to enjoy our Sunday specials. So go check that out and subscribe. Leave us a review. It always helps us on places like iTunes. Worth noting, you are listening to the iHeartRadio news podcast of the year. I'm just going to put that out there. So the least you can do is subscribe. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so the third stupid thing that Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez said in the last 24 hours is she called for racial reparations. Racial reparations. Why? Well, why don't we let her explain? 
Economically speaking, when we talk about the issue of, say, reparations, people think, you know, people, people think about rep- reparations as reparations for slavery. Mm. But really, economically speaking, reparations are for the damage done by the New Deal and redlining, mm-hmm. because that is where we saw a, a compounding, mm. a compounding of the existing inequity from the legacy of slavery, mm. where we drew red lines around black communities. In the New Deal? The New Deal? Really? I like that people are sort of cheering. Like, nobody has any idea what she's talking about because that makes no sense. What is she even talking about? If you want to say Jim Crow, okay. But the, the New Deal? Like the thing FDR did? I thought you guys liked that. Aren't you calling your, your, your environmental program the Green New Deal? Which would be really bad branding if you think the New Deal was racist and about redlining. That, that's real weird. Okay, so, but here's the new Democratic platform. You're all going to die in 12 years, steal the billionaire's money and racial reparations. Great. So this is the new Democratic Party. Now, the good news for Republicans is that the Democratic base, at least members of the primary base, seem to be eating all of this up. What that means is that they are very interested in pushing forward the, the race issue particularly. That means that in 2020, the person who has the upper hand is Kamala Harris, the senator from California. After all, she has no record in the Senate except for ripping on Catholics and lying about Brett Kavanaugh. And she happens to be with black and a woman. So those are the things that matter in the Democratic primary. She lied about Brett Kavanaugh. She attacked Catholics. And she also is both black and a woman, which is super duper important because things. Very important that she is, that she is a racial minority and that she is a woman because, after all, stuff. So Kamala Harris announced that she was going to be running for president and... Everybody in the media was very excited and no one outside the media was very excited. Here is Kamala Harris, whose chief qualification for being president of the United States is that she was a terrible attorney general in my home state of California. Here she is. We've got to reach out to folks. We've got to go where they are, understand um, who they are. We have to listen as much as we talk. And that is certainly what I intend to do as a, as a candidate for the president of the United States. She's it is my full intention to travel this country and to sit in living rooms and to listen to families and let them express their concerns and their needs and understand that when we take on these positions, it is about representing all of the people of the country. Wow, riveting stuff from Kamala Harris. Her program is she's going to sit there and listen to you. So if you need a traveling psychiatrist who can't prescribe drugs and also is not qualified, Kamala Harris is your lady. She's going to come to your house, knock on your door, and listen to all your problems, and then leave and tell you she solved all your problems because America is a terrible place. What's amazing is because everybody sort of knows that Kamala Harris has a particular advantage when it comes to the primaries, namely the same advantage that Barack Obama had over Hillary Clinton in 2008, which is that 30% of the primary voting base of the Democratic Party is black. And they voted in solidarity in 2008. A lot of black folks voted overwhelmingly for Barack Obama in 2008. Kamala Harris has an upper hand. That means that the number one thing that all of the Democratic candidates now have to do is racially pander. This is legitimately like first on the priority list. So Joe Biden, who wants to run for president for the 19th time, and happens to be old and white, he is going to now pander as much as he possibly can to racial minorities, suggesting that Donald Trump is racist. So the way that you're going to be able to overcome the fact that he's an old white man is by pointing to the other old white man in the White House and saying, that guy's a racist. And I'm standing for you because he's a racist. So here was Joe Biden doing that routine yesterday. We've learned in the last two years, it doesn't take much to awaken hate, to bring those folks out from under the rocks, that part of American society that's always been there, will always be there. 
but has been legitimized. We have to speak out. We have to, uh, we have okay, to so, challenge these forces. So when, when he says all of this, you know, it's, well, honestly, it's, it's a point of, of real annoyance for me. The idea that he's allowed to get away with the great lie that racism started with President Trump. It's just, it's just a lie. And it's, the truth is that if you look at the actual polling data, what you will see is that racism not only did not start with Trump, the rise of racial polarization did not start with President Trump. It actually started and began to widen under Barack Obama. I'm looking at the polling data right this minute. Take, for example, race relations. By Gallup poll data, just 45% of Americans were worried about race relations either a great deal or a fair amount in March 2008, right? That was the middle of the 2008 election. By March 2015, that number had risen to 55%. By March 2016, that number was 62%. So in the course of eight years under Barack Obama, the number of Americans who were worried about race relations, either a great deal or a fair amount, had risen 17 points. Okay, but right now it's at 64%. So it's only risen a couple of percent since Trump was elected. But it had risen 17 points between when Obama was elected and when Obama was leaving office. Does that suggest that racism in America is due to Trump? Or is it possible that the left's constant focus on racial polarization for political gain actually had a cost? It doesn't matter. Democrats are going to continue to push forward this nonsense. And it's not just Joe Biden. It's also Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders, who spent... It's kind of fascinating. Bernie Sanders ran as a kind of post-racial socialist in 2016. In his campaign, he was asked about racial issues, and it caused some real tension with folks like Ta-Nehisi Coates, who said, well, Bernie Sanders just doesn't understand racism because Bernie Sanders keeps saying that socialism is a cure for racism. And Bernie Sanders' take is basically that under socialism, everybody is viewed equally, and so if we redistribute the wealth, then racism will automatically go away. And folks like Ta-Nehisi Coates were saying, well, that's pretty short-sighted. Well, now Bernie Sanders, because he wants to run again, feels the need to reach out and win more minority votes if he wants to head off people like Kamala Harris. So now he's going to go full bore on the Trump is a racist train, even though over the last couple of years, he's been kind of dicey about just calling Trump a racist. Now this is going to be the, the coin of the realm. The entry cost for becoming a Democratic presidential candidate is going to be calling President Trump a racist. Today we talk about justice and today we talk about racism. And I must tell you, it gives me no pleasure to tell you that we now have a president of the United States who is a racist. Okay, so this is what we are going to hear from now until election time from every Democrat is how racist President Trump is. Now, as I've said before, I'm not going to defend every statement that President Trump has made, particularly not about Charlottesville. But if you want to call President Trump a racist, you're going to need to do a little bit better than I changed my mind in the last five minutes when I was running for president. It's pretty amazing. Okay, so time for a quick update on the government shutdown. Remember that thing's going on? Remember how there was this government shutdown and like a bunch of people aren't getting paid? It turns out all you have to do is misdirect to a bunch of high school students and then no more, and then no one cares about the government shutdown anymore. Pretty amazing. Oh, quick note, breaking poll. I should just point this out. There's a poll about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whose myriad stupidities we just pointed out. A new poll shows that 74% of Democrats would consider voting for Ocasio-Cortez if she were old enough to run for president, including 17% who would definitely vote for her. She tops Senator Chuck Schumer in favorability among Democrats and overall nearly rivals Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Really incredible. That's how radical the Democrats have moved. Anyway, back to the government shutdown. So the government shutdown continues apace. Democrats have completely ignored, they've completely ignored President Trump's offer and they're doing so out of pure political expediency. A Democratic representative sort of acknowledged that yesterday. His name is Tom Malinowski. He is from New Jersey. 
And he says that the most painful concession for him to make would be the wall. And he says that if we're going to get the wall, then we need comprehend- We need amnesty. I'm only going to trade the wall for amnesty. Remember, there's already border fencing on large parts of our nation's southern border. But the wall is what really has him, uh, really has him upset. Painful concession for me to make as a Democrat who ran against this kind of stupidity and fear would be money for a border wall. If you want, to, if you want me to consider something like that, I need to see comprehensive immigration reform. I need to see an end to the cruelties of the last two years. If President Trump wants border security on his terms, I've got to see America restored as a welcoming country of immigrants and refugees. Okay, so this is the new Democratic agenda is border wall bad, except for the current border fencing that's in place. That border fencing is good. Now, how is this all going to play out? Well, yesterday, Aviation unions were coming out and explaining that if this shutdown continues very much longer, you're going to see massive numbers of flights canceled because there are just too many people who are dependent on federal government largesse and the TSA for their flights. Here is one of the heads of one of the aviation unions, Sarah Nelson, international president of the Association of Flight Attendants, saying federal workers being shut down, not getting paid. It's going to lead to a massive private strike that is going to shut down the airline industry. If these workers can't do their job, I can't do mine. And these federal workers cannot cash thank yous. They can't. They've got stressors on their family. They can't even put a tank of gas in their car to get to work. And as this starts to uh, crumble and unravel, we're going to see mass flight cancellations. We're going to see a system that completely unravels and falls apart. We will not have private jets taking off to get people to the Super Bowl. No one will be able to get to Atlanta. This is going to have a massive economic impact. So then the question is going to be who gets blamed for all of this. Now, here's the truth. The airline industry never should have been federalized. The airline industry never should have been federalized. It all should have been done privately. There's no reason the taxpayer should be footing the bill for the airline industry. It would not have been that difficult for air traffic controllers to be privately hired by a consortium of of flight companies, have each company do its own security. It would actually be a selling point whose security was best. But... Because we federalize everything, it's now become a federal issue. With that said, if flights start getting shut down, there's going to be additional pressure to stop the government shutdown. And that's why Republicans, President Trump, they need to be laying the groundwork right this very minute for saying the Democrats are being completely unreasonable. Every tweet Trump sends should be on how unreasonable Democrats are being. He should be at the border right now pointing to open spaces in the border where people are walking across and saying all they have to do is fund this, this five feet right here, and we can end this government shutdown. But they hate me so much they won't do it. This is time for a full court press by Republicans because Democrats simply don't care. They think they can wait around and let the media do their bidding for them. And they're right. The media will do their bidding for them. The media are not going to ask serious questions of Democrats. The media are not going to ask, guys, $5.7 billion is like 12 hours of federal funding. 12 hours of it. So why don't you just give over the money? The media won't ask those questions. So Trump is going to have to force the issue. He absolutely should force the issue. Republicans should force the issue because this is no longer a fight between Democrats and Republicans. It is a fight between Republicans and the media. And believe it or not, that's a fight that President Trump can win. All he has to do is engage in that fight. Right now, he is disengaged, which is kind of shocking to me. The president needs to be personally out there on the stump, beating the war drums. And that's true for everybody on the Republican side of the aisle. Right? They all need to be out there explaining why this is a problem and why all they would have to do is get five cents, a nickel out of the cushions in order to pay for this thing. Because when the bleep really hits the fan here, when the flights start getting canceled, the American people are going to turn on somebody. Republicans should ensure that it is not them. All right, time for a couple of things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. Uh, There's a book that I just read. I love sports books, so I'm a big sports fan. 
And there's, there was a league for a little while in the 1980s called the USFL. It was supposed to rival the NFL, and it was supposed to be a spring league. So it wasn't really a direct competitor to the NFL, because the NFL plays in fall and winter. The USFL was supposed to take place in spring. And very early on, it was a big success story. They'd started to pick up some real players, like Steve Young played in the USFL, Herschel Walker played in the USFL, Jim Kelly got his start in the USFL. And the league was actually not bad. A bunch of those players ended up in the NFL when the USFL shut down. The, the book is really a fun read. It also has a lot about President Trump because President Trump was a, was a team owner in the USFL. And President Trump was, was at that time, Donald Trump was, was very involved in sort of the demise of the USFL. So the book is a lot about that. And it gives you a window into how President Trump negotiates, which is to say he sort of sets a goal and then doesn't necessarily know how to get there. And it's a real problem for him. So it's a, it's a window of insight. Is it biased? I'm sure. But the book itself is really amusing and fun. Okay. Um, meanwhile, this, I don't know where to put this in things I but We'll put this in things I hate. So let's do some things I hate. Okay, so let's talk about what was nominated for Best Picture this year. So the Oscar nominations are finally out. One of the things I love about the fact that the Oscar nominations have been brought into eight or ten films now in Best Picture category is it was supposed to include films people had seen. Out of the films that people, uh, out of all, let's see, how many films were nominated? Eight films. Out of the eight films that have been put up for Best Picture, three are films that people have seen. Black Panther, which is, first of all, it's absurd that Black Panther is nominated for Best Picture. I liked, I liked the picture just fine. It was fine. It is insane that it was nominated. It was not even like the third best comic book movie of the year. Into the Spider-Verse was clearly the best comic book movie. And then I would say that Avengers Infinity War is a better movie than Black Panther. And here's for the controversial part. I thought Aquaman was a better movie than Black Panther. I just didn't, I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. It was, you know, a Marvel movie with a bad ending. But, and it really had one compelling character in Killmonger. But it's nominated for Best Picture. All right, fine. It's it, silly. First comic book movie to be nominated for Best Picture since, I believe, The Dark Knight, which shows you a decline in quality because The Dark Knight is an all-time great flick. Black Panther will be forgotten seven minutes after this Best Picture Oscars. But the other ones that have been nominated that made some money, Bohemian Rhapsody made some money by a bunch of uh, boomers and and Gen Xers who still remember We Are the Champions. Um, And then A Star is Born made some money because it had Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. None of those three are going to win Best Picture. The ones that are really up for Best Picture are Black Klansman, which is Spike Lee's film, which I've watched, and it's mediocre. It ain't that great. Spike Lee hasn't produced a good movie since Do the Right Thing. Uh, the, the Favorite, which is about lesbian affairs in 19th century England. So, good times. Uh, and then there's Green Book, which is everybody's sort of favorite, which, which means it won't win, right? It's now, in the, it's now in the front runner position, which means there will be a backlash before the Oscars, and then it won't win. Uh, Green Book is a, about... A mob, an Italian mobster who is low-level, mob-level enforcer, who's driving a black gay guy through the South in the 1960s. So it's about how America is intolerant, but tolerant. We love each other, but we're intolerant. You've heard this. It's it's driving Miss Daisy, basically, except in reverse, right? So it's it, it's got some problems. Roma. I watched the first seven minutes, and I was almost comatose. It is one of the most boring, slow movies I've ever seen. The last 20 minutes of it are good, but that does not justify a nine-hour running time. And Vice, which is just a hit piece on Dick Cheney. So well done, Hollywood. Once again, nominating a bunch of movies that either no one has seen or are not very good. And ignoring the only great picture of the year. There there were two. Okay, so A Quiet Place was a good picture this year. And then there was a great picture this year, The Death of Stalin, which received zero nominations and is by far the best picture of the year. I raved it at the time. It is the best picture of the year. Got completely shut out because it says Stalin is bad. America's bad. Very good for the Oscars. Stalin is bad. Not so much. Okay, and then get to the other nominations you've got. Actress in a Supporting Role, 
got Amy Adams in Vice because she's nominated for whatever she does. Marina de Tavira in Roma. Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, which I'm surprised wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I've heard it's quite good. And then Emma Stone and Rachel Vice in The Favorite, both of whom are playing, you know, the lesbian would-be lovers of the queen. And then you've got, you know, actors in a supporting role. Again, all of them are from movies that nobody has actually ever seen. And, and there's no host this year, which is really exciting. Right? We could have had Kevin Hart, who's at least amusing. But no, we're not going to do that. Instead, we have to make sure that no one is offended by comments that Kevin Hart made 10 years ago. So well done, Oscars. You've done it again. Excellent, excellent job. Okay, final thing that I hate for today. So I do have to discuss a comment by Lady Gaga. So Lady Gaga, we talked about this on yesterday's radio show, which is why you should subscribe. But Lady Gaga made a comment at one of her, content, one of her concerts about how Mike Pence is a terrible representative of Christianity, which makes sense because when I think of people who are great representatives of Christianity, I usually think about the lady who warbled the song Telephone. That's, that's usually who I think about. I think Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the Pope, Martin Luther, Lady Gaga, in my pantheon of, of famous Christians. Here's Lady Gaga ripping into Mike Pence for not being sufficiently Christian. Mike Pence, who thinks it's acceptable that his wife work at a school that bans LGBTQ. against Christianity, you are the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. So I love that Christianity in, in our secular pagan world has been boiled down to make other people feel good. Now, if you read the New Testament, Jesus wasn't famous for the making of the people feel good. That, that wasn't his thing. Right? Jesus was quite harsh with people. You know, and when he, when he talked to people who, when, he, when he did the whole, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones and if the, the splinter in your eye and the log in your eye, that, that whole thing, that was followed by go and sin no more, right? So the idea was, you're not supposed to sin. Sin's bad. Don't do it. But apparently the new message of Christianity is the message of Lady Gaga, which is do whatever you want and it's my job to massage your shoulders. That is not what Christianity is about. It's not what Judeo-Christian religion is about. It's not what morality is about. Boiling down Christianity to a pagan acceptance of bad behavior is pretty much the religion we deserve, given today's day and age. As I've said before, I, I really believe, I mean, in my new book, I talk about this. I actually believe that Lady Gaga's Born This Way is the single best expression of the modern mentality when it comes to morality that has been written. And I think it is deeply immoral and pagan. And the idea that you have a natural drive to do something, therefore God made you this way, therefore you should probably go and do it. And that is precisely the opposite of traditional religion, which suggests that a drive to do something does not justify you actually doing that thing. There's a, there's a line in the movie The African Queen, which is a great movie from the 1950s, in which Catherine Hepburn, who is a, a religious woman, says to another character, nature, Mr. Allnut, is something we are put on earth to overcome. And there's something about that in religion. Lady Gaga, nature is something to surrender to. And if you don't surrender to it, then you are not being Christian. You know, when you go back and you look at the story of Adam and Eve, one of the questions that is asked is, why is it that what the snake says is so seductive to Eve? Right? Metaphorically, the whole, the whole story in my opinion, and in the opinion of many religious scholars, is metaphorical, not literal. In any case, the story is deeply important from a psychological perspective. So Adam and Eve are told by God, don't eat this particular apple from this particular tree, or don't eat this piece of fruit from this particular tree. And the snake then goes to Eve and says, you know, God's kind of lying to you. Like, everything's going to be okay. You eat from that apple, it looks pretty good. It'll be fine. Would God, and here's the actual message of what the snake is saying when you go back and look at the text. He's saying, would God have made that apple 
and make you have a desire for that apple if he didn't mean for you to eat that apple? So who are you going to believe? God or what God actually created for you? If God created the desire, then he wanted you to fulfill the desire because he created you. And he said, okay, that's kind of convincing. And she goes and eats the apple. And that's when God says, uh, no. When I tell you not to do something, I tell you not to do it because it turns out that self-control is one half of becoming a better person. The other half is directing your self-control at the proper object. But according to our modern society, if you have a desire for something, that is in and of itself a justification of action along the lines of that desire. That is a deeply anti-Christian message. So I'm not going to take tips on Christianity from Lady Gaga. Just not going to do it because it's absurd. Alrighty, we'll be back here later with a lot more. Go subscribe so you get the other two hours of the show later this afternoon. We're slaving away for you people. If not, then we'll catch you tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. With all this excitement about baby Hitler and punching teenagers, does anybody even remember that the government is shut down? We will analyze the impasse. Then the case for Kamala how Kirsten Gillibrand ever got elected in the first place, and whether the mainstream media will face consequences for defaming those poor kids. Check it out at dailywire.com. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 